Hello, and welcome to The Trolley Stops Here, where we talk about real things with real people from a faith perspective. I am Taylor Darden, and the last TV show I binged was Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. And I'm Laurie Ann Rooker, and the last TV show I binged was Grace and Frankie. That is such a cute, great show. I love that Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are still getting to work at this stage of their careers. Do you know that Jane Fonda is 80 now? She's 82 or something crazy like that. And she's still getting arrested on the steps of the Capitol for protesting. Yeah. Like yeah. She has not slowed down one bit. So well, and how courageous to talk about um, female sexuality um, for yeah. people who are seniors and what that's like. They just yeah. watch the interactions between between them and how that evolves. It's it's really kind of um, it's it to me. I really enjoyed it, and I thought it must be so empowering for um, for men and women and mm-hmm. all different and also models all different types of relationships. Yeah, and I think the fact that they show like you know men coming out as gay which is the topic of our episode today uh that men coming out as gay at such a late age right like that's something that it's showing on television and you know that that's a real thing that happens that there's no it's never too late to say who you are i think that's a really cool part of that show too and it's funny and it's cute and it makes you feel good so i Mm -hmm. i fully support the watching of grace and frankie um (laughs) killer Yes, because that's important that you get the Taylor seal of approval on your television mm-hmm. viewing. So how are you doing? How's your week been? It's been good. Lots of walking with lots of people. Great. Uh, lots of exercise. We started a walking group this week. which hey, is hey. Really- Yeah, lots of, it's just been great to be outside. The weather has been perfect. And uh, I mean, it's nice to be every time I am outside and I can just be mask free and and just invigorated it feels so good to me again it feels just so hopeful um that's really good to hear i am knee deep in graduate school um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in graduate i think i mentioned this last week that i'm i just mentioned it briefly that i'm getting my graduate degree in speech and language pathology from the university of delaware and it is whew, we we start it's so this is the first week when I started like, you know what? Grad school's hard, <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> Just a lot of studying, a lot of reading. And this is really nice to have an outlet and focus on something mm-hmm. else, truly. I I'm I, I was like, well, I got to take a study break because I got to do the podcast. And that was actually a really healthy thing for me to like be like, you know what? I can't study all the time. So I'm going to do something else. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, for anyone listening, here is a very relative term because we're doing this remotely. Laurie-Ann's at the church and I'm at home. But, but you know, it's here in the in the spiritual, metaphysical sense. So, anyway. Um, yeah, all right. So, that's a great segue into our next little topic. Uh, things going on at the church right now. Um, so, as Laurie-Ann mentioned, we've started up very informally um, this just walking, kind of walking group. If you live in media... Um, and whether you attend our church or not, and you just want some time to get some exercise, have some conversation, maybe talk to a pastor about spiritual things, or maybe not talk to a pastor about spiritual things, whichever floats your boat. Uh, you can let us know through email um, on our website. Uh, all our emails are there. Uh, if you want to join uh, with a walking group, we'd love to have you walk with our pastor, Lorianne. Also, another big announcement, we have a new tech position that we are starting. We're really excited about that. 
because so much of our church has been moved to uh, online and there's so many people who are not able to join us physically or or whatever, we have really been thinking about how we need to improve our technical presence. Um, and one of that has a paid technical person. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're going to do. So we're so excited that we're inviting. Uh, we are now uh, officially making Ayanda Satole our, what is the official title, Lorianne? <laughs> It's a tech, it's tech coordinator. Tech coordinator. Okay. So Ayanda has been uh, at our church for a very long time, much longer than me or Lorianne. Uh, maybe, uh, say what? Maybe combined. Definitely maybe. combined. Yes. <laughs> um, and she's been doing lots of tech stuff with our sound mm-hmm. mixing and things like that and our, our slides. Um, but now she's going to have an official paid position, which we're really excited mm-hmm. about. So we're so glad to officially bring her aboard. By the time you hear this, this will no longer be something that is secret. The church will all know. So we wanted to say it on this podcast. Lorianne, do you want to talk about um, just anything that's going on with Food Bank Clothing Closet? Uh, just well, so we did have a, a clothing closet pop up event today, which is great because uh, people have been. Uh, we haven't been able to open the free store, and I just love. The, I've said this before. I love the fact that our church is all about body, mind, and spirit, mm-hmm. uh, reducing our carbon footprint, and how our faith connects to how we care for the earth. And so, the clothing closet event uh, today was we had to do a pop-up event because we just can't, we're not able to be open on a regular basis. So nine to one today, we had so many people, apparently there are 50 people that have already come through in a matter of two hours. And so uh, it's really, I'm so happy that we're able to, um, you know, be in service in this way. And I personally love to wear things from the clothing closet. (laughs) I like to give, I like to receive every time somebody tells me. She gives them back. I do. And people tell me they like my clothing closet. I love it. So I'm a big proponent of our clothing closet and a Uh, big user. Yes. Yes. uh, I've done that too, but we always return them. We wash them and return return them. Don't worry. Uh, I'm really proud of that part of our church, the clothing closet and the food bank. Uh, I was telling someone recently, it's just, it's been really nice to see in this time when people are really struggling, how much, how many people in our church and lots of people outside of our church have really stepped up to volunteer and increase the number of days that we, you know, give food to people and and all and the, the amount of times that people can come to, to donate food. It's really great to be part of. So awesome. All right. So let's move into our next topic, which is um, our topic for today. We, on our first episode last week, gave a really, really broad overview of this idea of, you know, progressive Christianity. And today we're going to talk about a more specific topic that has really gained a lot of significance, not only for the church at large, but for the Methodist church in particular in recent years. And that is the church and um, homosexuality. The, the Methodist church has used the term human sexuality, which strikes me honestly as a bit of a euphemism. Um, like obviously it's human sexuality we're talking about. We're not talking about the sexual activities of animals, you know, like, <laughs> like obviously that's what we're talking about. And so what they're really talking about is in, to be, to be perfectly honest, I think it's just a way to avoid using the word homosexuality, but I don't think we should be afraid of using that word. <laughs> So and and by by that, we sort of mean um, I think it's important to define what we mean in the term that the Methodist Church has talked about it. So I'm going to give some a quick, real quick background on the Methodist Church and where we are on this, quote, issue. Um, It's been a wild ride the last two years. I'm not an expert. 
Um, so Laurieanne, feel free to jump in if I get something wrong. Um, and okay. we're not going to give you every minute detail about all of this. We're not going to get too deep into the weeds just because, <laughs> you know, we got stuff to do and so do you, but you can always look it up, uh, online. There's lots of information about it. Um, on the Methodist Church website and so forth. It was in the news. So anyway, uh, before I go too far afield, the Methodist Church is sort of governed by something called the Book of Discipline. And in the Book of Discipline, um, there was added, uh, I want to say in the 70s, language that disallowed the Methodist Church to bless same-sex marriages, which, of course, would not legally have been a thing in the 1970s anyway, um, and also openly gay and lesbian pastors. Um, those are the two main issues, and it's been a huge div divisive issue in the global Methodist church ever since. Um, is that safe to say? Yeah, I was just going to say the the exact wording is that was added was homosexuality is not compatible with Christian mm practice or teaching mm -hmm. and they were not um, self-avowed practicing homosexuals were not to be ordained mm -hmm. yeah and the, that language is really interesting because they've tried to really clarify we're methodists so we love a method we love things to be like <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of lawyers in the methodist church it seems like but uh we 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 the term self-avowed practicing homosexual right so that's the term the idea that the methodist church was kind of wrestling is like if you are someone who say i'm gay you say i'm lesbian and i'm not going to live a life of celibacy i'm going to live a life of relationships you know of of what how i'm how i see myself that you know that's quote not compatible with christian teachings and in practical terms that means that we're not going to have same-sex weddings and we're not going to have um gay or lesbian clergy so we've had this debate for a long time just last year there was this huge meeting um of, of delegates from all over the world um for this one issue basically i mean they they talked about one other thing with pastors pensions <laughs> but other than that the only thing they were really talking about was this issue of homosexuality and to make a long story short it ended up that by a narrow margin they voted to keep the language in the book of discipline and they voted to like sort of make punishments for people who didn't who didn't follow it so it was mm -hmm. for those of us who are lgbtq affirming um it was not a good day <laughs> it was not that's not a pleasant memory for me right so it unsurprisingly started a whole lot of conflict particularly in the united states and so a year later they all got together with a mediator and they said this is not working you know this vote we had it's dividing the church even worse it has not solved any problems so what we want to do is we want to have a mediator come up with a new plan of how we can amicably split so mm -hmm. they it was a plan to plan it was nothing is official mm -hmm. but this they came up with an idea of how we can amicably split and then we're going to have to vote on it in the conference later in the spring we were supposed to have a big vote on the issue on on this idea of splitting uh the methodist church into basically a, a pro lgbtq group and a less pro and a not pro lgbtq affirming group whatever and what happened the coronavirus and mm -hmm. the convention was canceled. So we are still in a kind of limbo on that issue. That There's been no official decision um, on that. So that was my quick little uh, historical background <laughs> just to get you up to speed. Um, how to do, Lorianne? 
I think you did well. Oh, you good. Good, good. The conference has been rescheduled for 2021. And as I understand it, there are not going to be any um, litigations or anything and no consequences brought towards anyone. But I don't I also don't know if there are any candidates coming forward. But I I think there's kind of a moratorium on any sort of actions taken against anyone who does not comply right now, if I'm not mistaken. OK, OK. So basically, it's just a big pause button that's been put on it. Right. So, exactly. so that's the thing about the Methodist Church as a whole. That's how what we've been going through. But I'm going to have Laurie Ann talk about what does it mean for our church, for First United Methodist Church of Media, aka First Church. What is our position on this? Take it yeah, away. Yeah. So um, I would just want to say that um, when I first. So the, the church, you have a meet the pastor when you first come in. And um, so when I first came in and had the meet the pastor meeting, uh, the people gathered were to let me know, you know, what their goals were and what they would like to do as a church. And one of the first things that someone said to me, and this was in 2014, um, was someone said, we'd like to become a reconciling congregation. And I was so surprised by that because I had not heard anybody verbalize something like that and and to have that be one of the first things that was stated uh, to me uh, and at my very first meeting with the congregation. Um, and so I was very surprised and I made a whole list of things that people were hoping to do as a church and that was at the top. So we began, uh, we got, you know, we went online and found out about the reconciling congregations and the steps to be taken and we started studying. We read um, a variety of books um, one of the things that we did, and I think that makes the, this particular church so unique to me, is is um, we tried to practice the Wesley statement that we can think differently but love alike. And we mm -hmm. were very intentional about um, seeking out people who we thought might have questions or thoughts or um, maybe challenged by whether or not we were going to be a reconciling congregation. And we kind of trained ourselves how to listen, not to be reactive, not to, if we got upset or we got angry or we got whatever that we were, we were not going to shut a person down if they disagreed. And we wanted to try to allow the process to happen. And when we actually had our vote, uh, surprisingly, I think it was 60, I want to say 63 votes in favor of becoming a reconciling congregation zero votes against and one person with um, wrote that they were not they were abstaining. So um, that's kind of the that's the quick and uh, quick version. Um, now that we have become a reconciling congregation, there's that sort of question of now that we've done this, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. uh, we have signage around the church that would mm -hmm. indicate uh, that we are a reconciling congregation. We've we're working to make sure that we include the brown and the black stripe in any kind of rainbow flags or signage. We try to make sure that our worship services, our liturgy, our sermons include examples that show how we're affirming and our mission statement reflects that. So I'm sure there's more we can do, but that is a little summary of where we at First United Methodist Church of Media weigh in mm -hmm. and actively express our faith in relation to uh, homosexuality and the United Methodist Church. Yes, that's great. Um, and I also want to add to that, uh, not for nothing, you hired an openly gay man in a leadership position, <laughs> which I think is uh, is another way to express how your position on the issue. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. 
So we are very excited, and I'm going to pass the mic in just a second. We're very excited to uh, interview a member of our church named Jerry Noon. And for the rest of this interview, I'm not going to be really the leader or a leader of this podcast. I'm going to be an interviewee. And Laurieanne is going to be the interviewer of both me and Jerry. So Laurieanne, do you want to introduce Jerry? We are so glad to have you. Jerry Noon is our lay delegate, which is um, a very um, important term in our church to describe a person who um, actually is able to go to every single meeting as a voting member, can attend anything and has a vote and a voice. Um, he also is our representative at our annual conference. And again, voting is a way of expressing power. It's a way of expressing oneself, giving voice to a person. And so, Jerry, I'm so happy to have you here and wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to, how you just first came to visit First Church. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. Um, how did I first come to church? So, um, I had, I was raised Catholic most of my life. And, uh, of course, we all know Catholics don't have a, a fond adherence to homosexuality. So it became difficult for me um, to remain a Catholic. I did in Nashville, when I lived in Nashville, I found a church that was, um, I remember I went to a meeting with the pastor, with the priest there. And I said, and he said, well, you know, everybody was explaining why they were um, asking why why they were there and he said so jerry why are you here and i said well you know i'm trying to figure out where i stand as a gay man in the like church and he said well i'm going to ask you a question and i said okay he said are you here to worship the pope or are you here to worship god and i said god he said then shut up and do it <laughs> and that was like brilliant to me you know what i mean it was like oh okay i guess i should just do that then and so i was there for like 25 years and then i moved back to pennsylvania and um, to be closer to my family. And I church shopped for a very long time. And I could not be a Catholic anymore in this area, unfortunately. Um, I couldn't find that kind of reception. So I, you know, I went to the MCC church and all the other, you know, and I am somebody who really likes scripture. I like, I like a little Jesus in my service. And everything that I was sort of running into was, you know, a little poetry reading, a little this, a little that, but it wasn't really God centered to me. And, um, I walked in one day to first church and I met Miriam and Sabangale <laughs> and I laughed because they just glommed onto me in these big hugs. And they were like, hello, what are you doing here? Who are you? What do you want? Um, and yeah, I was sold. I mean, I can't even tell you. It was just the, the, the craziest thing. And I came in and then you gave me a mug that day or something like <laughs> some kind of mug. And, uh, and I just started to, you know, come back week after week. And then probably I, I can't remember, but it was maybe like two months in, I wanted to become a member. So I did. And then, um, you and I became friendly and, I started going to, you know, you asked me to come to the conference a couple years ago, and 
I always laugh about it because <laughs> you kept saying that I was going to run out of the building screaming. Yes, um, I did. <laughs> because it was, um, we went there to um, discuss, you know, the gay thing. <laughs> and um, we were in a lunch. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like a lunch thing and sort of reconciling ministries were involved. I, do you remember the topic? It was, we were in a, yeah. we were in a circle well, and just talking about things. Yeah, we were supposed to be leading um, a small group on providing support for families um, of gay and lesbian persons. You spoke a little bit. I spoke a little bit. And that was the small group that was before we went back into the larger conference that was at lunch. Yeah. And that was just it was really fascinating to me. And I I have to say, um, uh, I found it fascinating because everybody was heard, which I, I think that was the thing that you were nervous about. Um, because we were listening to people who were clearly not in favor of homosexuality in any way, shape, or form. And and the interesting thing to me was um, everybody listened to everybody. And then there was this whole thing where everybody got to vote. And, like, when you're Catholic, you don't get a vote. You know what I mean? When Mm. you're, you know, there's so many places in this world that you don't get a say. And Mm. I just... I found that absolutely fascinating. I was like, oh, my God. I have, like, I can raise my hand and say, no, I don't want to do that. I can raise my hand and say, yes, I want to do that. And that was kind of a, sort of sold me. And then the next year, um, I had, I actually got more involved. I became part of the Reconciling Ministry uh, team. Um, I actually became a co-chair for a while. Then we were asked to do this presentation, and I did... I, I think it's on tape somewhere, but I did like a, we did like a 20 minute presentation on um, reconciling ministries and sort of the stance we were taking in reference to the vote that was headed our way. And then the Wesleyan Covenant did their thing. And we ended up sitting in these, you know, big group. They wanted us to sort of like sit with people and chat about what we just heard on both sides. And, you and I, and I think Sucha Bang. Yep. Yeah. That's we right. sat with uh, the woman who spoke on behalf of the Wesleyan Covenant. And I, I mean, I, I found her fascinating. You know, I really, I, I, I found the whole exchange with her, you know, it was one of those things where somebody says, you know, and I'm going to, this is probably like really stereotypical, but it was like one of those things where some of my friends are gay, you know, it was like, okay. Um, so I, I just said to her, I don't understand how you can't call this racism. And I don't really ever think I got a response from her. And that was really, I don't know, it was really fascinating to me because I always find it, you know, when you ask direct questions, you learn so much about mm. people. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I, I recall that um, it was it was something where I was a little bit nervous about that because sitting so the Wesley Wesleyan Covenant Association is the primary group in our church that is has been um, a proponent of uh, wanting the church to separate. And so with that in mind, us sitting together really drew some attention. It actually, I don't know if you knew the story, it wasn't really popular with a lot of the people in the reconciling ministries that you and I decided to sit together with someone in the Wesley Covenant Association. I'm sure it wasn't popular with some, because it's sort of like we were sitting together with people who we were all kind of positioning ourselves sort of 
we were we were kind of against each other, but we were sitting and listening and it made such an impression that they put the picture on the cover of the new spirit. Um, but I, I did watch how you were willing to listen, but at the same time you were speaking your, your own truth with her. And it was actually very emotional. I remember to, at the end, the two of you had a really kind of a tender energy between the two of you as you were listening into each other. Yeah. Um, so that's what I recall about that. And yeah, it was it was fascinating. It was it's really interesting to me, and I think I've spoken about this at church. Is I, I don't think that you you know I think one of the biggest things in this world that we do wrong is we just immediately go to that negative place. And I have learned in the last like you know when people talk about Trump and they talk about all this stuff with him and. Um, I think he was putting this in, I think he was made president to teach us a lesson. And I think the lesson is how to be more human. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need that visual. <laughs> to, Interesting. You know, to yeah. teach you. you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And I, like, I won't rail against him. Um, I, you know, I, I hope, I hope, I pray that he gets his act together, but but I do believe that he was elected to show us something. And I think with Black Lives Matter and you see all the stuff that's going on, I think that until this world deals with racism in its purest form, we will never have peace. And that's a big thing. And it, it, racism in all forms, you know, not just, you know, Black Lives Matter, but gay racism. You know, I mean, racism against all people. I think that's one of the things I love about this church is that, and I know, Lorianne, you've heard me say this before, and I've said it on at the pulpit up here when I first got in here, was I never have ever felt judged in this place. And I think that is such a, that speaks volumes to these people. You know, the people that attend this church and that are here, like, you know, Sue Bryan and the rest of the, I mean, I can't even tell you. It's just, it, it brings me to tears when I think mm -hmm. about how in my life I've been judged by so many people for just who I sleep with, you know, mm -hmm. not for who I am as a human being, but for who I sleep with and to walk into a place and to not feel that is that's huge. I can't mm -hmm. even tell you how huge that is. Mm. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm hearing that word, um, judgment and, um, I'm just, wondering uh if it's a chance for you and taylor to talk a little bit about your background or if we want to stay with that and wonder about how you do handle judgment when people ask questions about scripture um i'm going to let you and taylor decide which way you want to go do you want to talk a little bit about your background at this point or do you well do you i feel think it would be interesting to talk about our backgrounds because we're of i mean we're like 30 what 30 35 years apart so i i'd be yeah that's true to hear his his i'd be interested to hear how he grew up and and his his experience in school and things like that because i'm sure there were you know i don't know if they were super different than mine but mine were very difficult <laughs> yeah just curious jerry because i feel like i don't know this for sure what part of the country did you grow up in pennsylvania pennsylvania scranton pa scranton okay that's okay that's, that's where the office is set right 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so I grew up in the South, you know, so I am, I am, I am a younger gentleman. Um, but I, I grew up in a, I think that can have a big impact impact on things too. You know, I yeah. grew up, I grew up in a very conservative part of the country, you know, the quote Bible belt, you know, so it wasn't just that my family was very religiously conservative. Everyone I knew was, um, there was no, I mean, there were exceptions to that. There were a handful of exceptions to that, but, but I was basically in a closed system. (laughs) Uh, one thing that I did have going for me that was sort of, that would eventually become sort of like a, uh, an escape was this thing called the internet that, you know, came out when I was, (laughs) started to really take off when I was in middle and high school, um, but other than that, you know, I, I I had heard that, you know, being gay was it wasn't just a sin. It was like one of the worst. And I know that's a I didn't grow up Catholic, Jerry, but I know that's another position that the Catholic mm-hmm. Church has held. It's not just a sin. It is a bad one. You or know? what about the word abomination? Is right. that ever? Been oh, used? gosh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Which is interesting because, you know, we and we can get into this later as a topic I love to talk about. But abomination is used to describe other things other than homosexuality oh, in the Bible. And some of them are bad, like lying. <laughs> but other ones are like putting two seeds of different plants in the same hole or having yeah. a garment of two different fabrics. So yeah, like, let's talk about seafood <laughs> or, or eating shellfish. Right. Yeah. And when so talk about Leviticus, like, it just makes my head water explode. Yeah, yeah I know <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for sure. So but like, I guess with me, you know, I I didn't come out, you know, as a teenager or a middle schooler because I didn't even see it as an option. There's a great I, I mentioned it last time, but there's a woman on the documentary for the Bible tells me so. And she says, when something's not an option, you don't consider it. And for mm-hmm. me, it was it was yes, just not an right. option. Yeah, it, it was just not an option. So, and I went to a college at a Christian university, which was also very conservative. So that, in, in a time when many people are like discovering new points of view and, you know, expo- maybe, you know, exploring their sexuality, all those things that lots of people do in college. Well, that wasn't me because I didn't go to a college that really allowed me to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't really start to even question any of this until I was a senior in college. And again, you know, it was just because I started Googling things like, gay christian christian gay you know and like finding youtubes finding you know an organization that's called the gay christian network and they literally called themselves that yes so that when people would google it they would find it yeah that's literally why they named themselves for that exact purpose so that people could google those things and then find them um so and that was what the turning point for me really started and so i i decided to come out and i i think it was really important to me to not have to throw out my faith because i think that was all always what it was this false choice that i was always given you can be gay or you can be christian but you cannot be both yeah and that was just an impossible choice for me i couldn't i couldn't do that you know that was sophie's choice (laughs) so see um, my experience was so different because interesting i I grew up in coal mining country, so, mm-hmm. and I was a classical ballet dancer. I started mm-hmm. dancing very early in life, and because I had talent, my parents never had to pay for it, so it was like, oh, well, just let them do it. You know what I mean? My <laughs> father didn't like it because he just, he was assuming I would be gay, and that, you know, just sort of flew against everything he wanted, but the reality of it is that if I had been in law school, I would have been gay. That's not 
you know, it right. wasn't that, 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 you know, turned the key. <laughs> right. Um, but growing up, I mean, I can't even tell you how difficult it was. It was, um, I was tortured, you know, especially mm. because I was this ballet dancer and I was actually good mm. at it. So I was in the paper. I had, you know, I, I danced at like one of, um, one of the Kennedys when the Kent went, when Ted Kennedy was running for president, I did a portion of George Balanchine's stars and stripes Mm. at one of his things. And it was televised nationally. (laughs) And I was beat up for the next six weeks. I mean, it was just like, I mean, I was shoved into lockers. It was like, and here I was, everybody was saying how wonderful I was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, you get these like really insidious mixed messages, you know, you're fabulous. You're great. You're brilliant. You're so talented. And then the next day somebody's punching you in the face because you're gay and you're, you're a fag and you're, you know, it was, it was unbelievable. But, and I do say this a lot and a lot of people will, my sisters and my brothers will, will, will laugh at this, but I, I think the reason I'm, really healthy as a human being and is because I went through all that, but Mm. I do block a lot of it out. Sure. Mm. I don't have clear, like I don't have a lot of memories. Like my sister um, and I bought a house off a friend of hers. I don't remember this girl. (laughs) She hung out at our house. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she was my, one of my sister's best friends. I have no recollection of her, you know? So I know that, you know, and Lorianna and I have talked about this a lot, but I'm 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 a self-help junkie, and so um, one of the things I don't think I need to do is delve into it. Sure, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean. I don't feel like I know it happened. I understand that it happened. I think it 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 taught me to be the person I am. But I don't need to I don't need to live there. I think so many people live in that pain that it becomes mm-hmm. you can't become who you really are meant to be. And I think one of the things that helped me become who I meant to be is the fact that I let it go. And I, I, you know, like when I got invited back to a high school reunion, um, because I, you know, I did Broadway, I did some movies, I did, Mm -hmm. you know, I did a bunch of stuff that people were like, Oh, well, you're famous. So come back to high school. (laughs) I don't want, right. Right. Um, right. I don't have any, I, I don't hold anything against those people. It was, you know, they were young, they were, you know, they were who they were. You know, I can't, I can't speak to their situation, but I don't have a need to go back to that place and relive it to make somebody else feel better mm-hmm. about what mm-hmm. they did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, I forgive, I don't, you know, I don't hold it against anybody, but I don't have a need to do those things. And it was really funny because everybody always wants me to go to my high school reunions. And I was like, man, no, really? Thanks. But yeah. you know, I don't have a great need. Well, it's it. like they want, Oh, they want to rub shoulders with a friend, someone who is famous. It's like, they don't deserve that. <laughs> well, and not only that, but like, you know, when I was doing what you seem to want to revel in, uh-huh. you, called me yes. names and hit me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't understand that dichotomy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting, Jerry, because I remember being in high school and I took singing lessons all through high school. Um, I've been a professional performer as well. <laughs> not, not, not with famous people. Um, but I, I, te- I kept the fact that I took voice lessons a secret 
from almost yeah. everyone because that was just not a cool thing for guys See, to I do. I could right because because everybody wanted to take pictures and stuff, and it was like, mm-hmm. oh god. Um, mm-hmm. I remember one time, and this is uh, this is sort of one of those stories that um, is difficult. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> they wanted to do some Wizard of Oz thing, and in my high school. And they wanted me to be the Tin Man and to do some sort of ballet thing. And I didn't want to do it because I knew what it was going to, I knew what was going to happen afterwards. I knew how it was going to be. And my mother and father insisted that I do it because I wanted to be a ballet dancer. So if you want to do this, then you're going to do it. Mm. And I don't, and I said to them, I mean, I remember saying to them very clearly, this is going to create havoc in my life. And they were like, well, this is what you want. And that took a long time to get over. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. You know, my mom just recently passed and, you know, luckily we got to, we got all that stuff out and, you know, and taken care of. But that was one of the hardest things I think I've ever gone through because Mm. they insisted that I do it. And Mm. I just knew what it was going to be like, you know, afterwards. And it was, it was, it was, you know, I was on stage in gray tights with a little tin hat, a little funnel on my head. (laughs) Right. And I think that's so interesting, Jerry, like this idea I've heard before, like people who love gay culture, but don't love gay people. Yes. Like and like, you know, that like the, the cultural contributions that that, you know, gay men, for example, have given to American society are huge. Right. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine talked about like, you know, straight women who would have a gay hairdresser and a gay man that planned their wedding. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah. oh, I love him. I love, you're right. But you don't love him if you don't support him having equal rights. Right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so I think that's an interesting dichotomy that I definitely can can also relate to. One of the things I'm hearing you both say is this trying to balance and integrate tensions and different different thoughts and feelings from people. And you both talked about earlier about the question of can you be gay and be a Christian? And I guess what I was wondering about is how do you um, how do you respond to some of the questions mm-hmm. about the scripture and homosexuality, uh, the biblical readings and sexual orientation? How do the two of you um, understand the Bible and homosexuality? Well, I think that the fascinating thing for me is, first of all, I, I sometimes take issue with the idea of sexual orientation because, uh, I mean, this is not an orientation. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a gay man. Mm-hmm. I like to, I like, <laughs> like, I want to be with a man. I have never wanted to be with a woman. I have never, that's just never something that's ever entered my field <laughs> yeah. of, of whatever. It's just never been. So for me, the orientation thing sort of diminishes what it is mm-hmm. to a degree. Okay. Um, do you like identity I, better? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. I like the word identity better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that part of what's happening with gender identity and all that stuff that's coming out now and, and starting to be able to, you know, I mean, one of the biggest problems I think that the, the, the LGBTQIA community has is 
you know, our support of trans people. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's something we could do an entire show on, I think. Oh, we're planning on it. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, but anyway, so for me, like, I, I, I really, I really believe that God put me here. (laughs) You know, I'm here. I, I, I don't, I don't know why, but for some reason, and I think we had a, we did a, a, I think you you were there. We did Mary did a workshop, a writing workshop, and we yeah. talked about we did little exercises and stuff. And one of the things that we talked about was the mirror exercise. You remember that? Yeah, you. We had to pick up an object. Yeah. That we want that we were drawn to. Yeah, and you and picked. I mirror, picked up right? a mirror because I always said, I I see the face of God. Mm. You know because. I believe that, that I'm here. Right. But you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I, I always believe that oh God gosh. is, part, you know, that I am, you know, I am here for a reason. And, you know, if it's just to sort of, I was laughing with people at, um, at, I worked out this morning and <laughs> we were sitting outside chat because community is a very interesting thing when you go to a gym you know there are people that you kind of glom to and my friends at the gym are really funny and they were like well what are you doing today so i'm gonna do a podcast and they were like why and i said oh because i'm the gay guy (laughs) (laughs) but now there's two you had ever since i came along you're not the only one no you can't know taylor how happy i was (laughs) (laughs) joined the the church because it was like i I really do i feel like i'm the guy with you know the gay guy Right, right, Um, right, right. But yeah, but it's kind of funny, but they were, I was like, and my friend Ellen, who works out with me, she was like, man, you slip that in all the time, don't you? And I said, hey, somebody's got to. Yeah, Yeah. I feel that way too, Jerry. You know, and I think there is an argument to be made that you and I are more than our sexual identity. We can be asked questions on other topics, right? And I think that that's really important to acknowledge too. But at the same time, you know, I agree. I'm in a certain time. You know, I think about the Bible. The and We'll get back to your question on script here in a second, Laurie, and I promise. But this idea of like the story of Esther, where the Bible says you were placed, you know, where she was placed in the time for a time such as this. And I really yeah. think that's the reason that I came to First Church. I had no idea this whole Methodist church brouhaha was going on. I had no idea. But mm-hmm. I took a job because, you know, it seemed like a cool place to work. And I needed a job. And um, and then I found out about this whole thing. And Laurie-Ann's like, so do you still want to be here with this whole thing? And I was like, I no, I actually want to stay more because I, I feel like, like this is why I'm here, you know. And I think, you know, and like these conversations about scripture, you know, like um, I was an English major in undergrad. Like I really love to sort of get into the nitty gritty of text. And I don't I enjoy having these sort of conversations about mm-hmm. people quoting the Bible because it's interesting, like, well, I mean, there's and I, and I also want to say I'm not an expert on this. There's plenty of great resources for people who do want to get into the weeds. There's a great book yeah. that has been studied at our church called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines, who is someone I know personally. It's great. We'll put it in the show notes. Read the book. Do it. But I will say that my response, you know, Lorianne, to, to people who kind of have these sort of like, but the Bible says... There's a lot of things you can say to that. First of all, the Bible says is not a useful phrase. And the reason for that is like the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything. <laughs> it's a book. 
we are the people, we're the ones who say things, right? We interpret the Bible. We read the Bible. We figure out what it means. You know, you can say this is what the Bible reads. This is mm -hmm. what the words say on the page of this particular translation that I'm looking at, right? Because mm -hmm. I hate to break fascinating thing. Yeah. Because when you look at at the translations, I was reading right. an Eckhart Tolle book the other day, and it talks. He talks about like, you know, that that God is perfection. That's not what one of those translations means. It means God is whole, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and whole is very different than perfect. Right. Perfect mm. is something you strive and you, you know, and, and there's this vision that you can't ever get there, but to be whole, that's mm. achievable. Yeah. And so for me, like the whole, the whole, and I'm not the Bible scholar. I wish I was more. Um, but as Lorianna and I have talked about, and I, I've always wanted to, I've toyed with all my life, the idea of becoming a pastor, because I do really feel a calling to like, to talk to people and to, you know, try to, uh, try to help whenever I can and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that bothers me the most part is that the Bible was written by men. Yes. And men have perspectives. Yes. And I mean, you know, maybe Paul was the first homophobe. I mean, you know, you just, you don't know where these people are coming from. Right. Yeah, I, I have a the great stories story. are handed down and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. You know what I mean? So the Bible to me is, is a guide to how to live life. But it's not like, like the word of God comes to me because I pray every day. Yeah, yeah, that's a great well, one of those Marcus Borg quotes where he says, we take the Bible seriously. We do not take the Bible literally. Right. And yes. taking the Bible seriously is is no joke, right? Like no. that's a lot of that's hard work, you yeah. know, and it's like that's and I think it's interesting, you know, we, they talk about these scriptures that, that do mention what we would call homosexuality. And there's like five of them. From Genesis mm -hmm. to Revelation, there's there's five verses total, which is ridiculous that we would make this such a huge issue, even if you agree with those five verses. When like, you know, I mean, one thing we've talked about, the church's position on divorce. Oh, my God. Is is, is so different. I mean, the Bible. Right. It's all over the place. And Jesus mentions it specifically. Um, you know, and, and we've abandoned it. And I actually think that's a good thing for the record. Like, I, I think that it is good, you know, for my, I personally think that we should support divorce for people. And I don't think, I think the church was right to change their, their, their point of view on that. But my, my position, my thing is like, that's so hypocritical, you know, that you're going to jump on this or like, you know, this idea that like usury is forbidden in the Bible, literally like making money off of investments, and most of the people who <laughs> have sort of perpetuated some of the biggest like anti-gay theology are like people who do that a lot, you know, yeah. like um, well, also when you talk about like people like I, I always loved I used to teach and I taught in when I lived in Nashville as part of my third or fourth career, I um I used to teach in a Christian dance school. <laughs> And I met some of the most unchristian people <laughs> preach in, in, that I've ever met. But I also met some wonderful people, but I've met some of the yeah. most unchristian people. Right. But the interesting thing to me was they always like throw, you know, it, uh, everybody always goes for Leviticus. And I always say, mm -hmm. you know, really what he was talking about is male prostitution, mm -hmm. uh, young boys being prostituted. 
right you know which we should be opposed to for the record we are against that (laughs) we are we don't like that we don't believe in pedophilia yeah you know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. And that's another thing, you know, like gay, you know, you say gay and it's like, ooh, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. it's amazing to me that that's like those five things are the ones that they glom on when there's so much more in the Bible, you know, that, you know, and, and the stuff right. that Jesus says, who did Jesus hang out with people? Mm-hmm. Right. Here's And my favorite thing, as long as we're on the topic, as long as y'all got me going is when we talk about, you know, everybody loves to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. And I know yes. that, Lorianne, you probably were going to ask this anyway, but I'll go ahead and just bring it up. The thing Please. is, Sodom and Gomorrah is so interesting because even people who don't really know the Bible very well tend to be familiar with what they think that story is, yes. right? That there was these two towns that engaged, in, I mean, it's the word sodomy, which is not used much anymore, you know, for, for homosexual activity. <laughs> um, it comes from there. So it's very much this idea that like God destroyed these two sins because they were gay and they were, you know, having, you know, they were they were yeah they were having sexual or activity that was that was gay and god destroyed these cities well was right but i'm sorry yeah, yeah and that's the whole thing right first of all it was about rape which yes. is again not something that we support right we are against that and we should be but it doesn't have anything to do with the sexual identity of the people rape right. is wrong regardless of who does it mm-hmm. right number 1 and number 2 um, and I'm sorry that I don't know if this is off the top of my head, but I know that later in the Bible, there is actually a verse and I will, you know, I'll put it in the show notes if anyone doesn't believe me, that says the sin of Sodom was inhospitality. Yes, yes. <laughs> towards towards foreigners, yeah. which mm-hmm. is so crazy to me, you know, like that is the point of the story. The point of the story is that we should be kind to newcomers and to people that are immigrants, Right which I don't think we're doing a great job with in this country, (laughs) to to be honest, you know, I think we would all agree with that, you know, and I said, so like, not only did we use this passage to incorrectly, you know, weaponize it against a group of people, we also ignored the point of the story, which is something that is really important to this day, you know, it's yeah. like we, we 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 were doubly wrong. We not only used a verse out of context to, to harm a marginalized group of people, we missed the point of helping another marginalized group of people. You know, mm-hmm. I want to say something, too, because um, I think this is sort of attaches to that point. One of the things that always amazes me about, like, people who, you know, throw the Christian thing out there is one of the biggest things that I think that's interesting to me is that. I don't believe they have the faith that they speak of because they don't trust God to take care of it. Mm. And I don't like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I don't support abortion, but I'm also not, I don't have a uterus. Right. And I don't think yep. it's my choice to make, but right. at the same time, if you believe that God is in control of everything, I, I just, you know what I mean? It just, it's one of those things. If we don't believe he will take care of us and take care of the situation, where is our faith? Hmm. I know it's kind of off topic. Huh? I, 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 I think it, it ties in. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, that's a big thing to me. I've just, I've, I, 
I see people on, you know, you see right. people talk about God and, they, and I'm just, and they rail against these people and they say, oh, well, these people are, these people are the reason that, that, that there's, you know, global warming. And these people are the reason that this is right. happening in the world. And it's like, where is your faith? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's what I want to ask people. Yeah, I want to, I do want to circle back to the, uh, the God and the great gay Christian book, because if there are people listening who would like to really read deeply into those the passages more specifically i think that's helpful i really i know a lot of people in the congregation here who you know they they want to engage and and discuss and they want to feel like they can understand really more from more of a historical metaphorical standpoint what is the reason that these scripture verses read the way they do? And I think when you look at the at the ancient communities and you look at the history and you look and you understand what's happening, they make sense in that context. And when they're not in the context, they don't make sense. So there's mm-hmm. portions of the Bible that are not relevant for us today. It is not relevant. It is not appropriate to tell a slave to be submissive to a master. There, mm-hmm. it is not appropriate to be saying we're not going to have women's leading in the church and so here here yeah, yeah well, when we look women at leading Paul, <laughs> yeah, right and so well, when we understand what paul is saying in the context sometimes these things make sense or seem to um fit into what the larger picture of what he's saying and yet they don't they're not appropriate for us today and so that's how we can take the bible seriously but not take it literally so I think, Jerry, the, I have the to say that's that, a phrase I've never heard before. Take it seriously, but not literally. Yeah, it's a Marcus Borg quote, and uh, it fits into some of the tenets of of our um, of what we were speaking last the other week of about progressive Christianity and some of the um, beliefs in, and and um, core values. And I just wanted to just circle back. And I, I know we only have a few more minutes left, but Jerry, there was something you said earlier that I that I think was moving to Taylor and it was very moving to me. And that was when you picked up the mirror and you looked in the mirror and you said, I see the face of God. And I just want to just hold that for a moment. Um, partly because of the discussion we're having around homosexuality, partly as, um, each of us looks in the mirror, and I hope that we all feel that we see the face of God. And yeah, amen. It is being, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're on a learning curve as we continue to find people who we maybe don't think are the face of God. Day after day after day, we are hopefully learning how to see the face of God in everyone. And I'm so glad, after all the things that you experienced, that you were able to say that because it brings everything together, being gay, being Christian, being loved by God, and then ultimately seeing yourself as the face of God. Well, and also like one of the things too, that we, we tend to do is we label, label, label. And you know what I, the label I want to wear is Jerry. (laughs) That's the label I want to wear. Right. I am, I am all of these things. I mean, it's, it's always amazing to me that you have like, like, I, I just, I don't understand how people can look at people and just see a color or just see a, an orientation or just see a, you know, or just say, Oh, you know, they don't take care of themselves or they don't do this. It's like, don't look at people and see who they are, see their soul, see their, you know, 
And I have to say, Jerry, uh, you you don't know this yet because you haven't heard the previous episode of podcast because nobody has. Um, but I actually mentioned in our previous podcast about this idea of looking into a mirror. And I, that, I had an, the, the same experience when I decided to accept myself as gay. I looked in the mirror. That's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And I just started crying and I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders, which I know is a cliche, but that's literally what it felt like. Like I just but there's felt a freedom. There's a freedom yeah. to, to, to telling people who you are. Yeah. And I had to, I had to, I had to, before I could tell anyone else, I had to tell myself, right. I had to come yeah. out to myself yeah, first. Mm. I had you to say how to long me, it took me. It was so interesting. It's so interesting that you say that because I, I knew all along, but the reality of the situation is because of the way I, you know, the, the situations I always found myself in, I thought to myself that maybe they had talked me into it. Maybe mm-hmm. I've been called faggot so many times that I just thought, oh, well, that must be who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, and what I realized was I, I can't allow people to put their label on me. You know, I can't allow people to label me and tell me who I am. And that's why picking up the mirror and looking and saying, you know, I see the face of God because I do. You know, I, I yeah. am a child of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whether you like it or not, I'm here to stay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm right. not going anywhere. Oh, you know? that's so good. Yeah. Wow. This has been such a great discussion. Thank we could talk for another me. hour. Yes. Well, <laughs> oh, this I, has been I, great. Yeah. You know, I don't really get to sit and chat with Taylor a lot. Right. So it's always good to like, it's really right. good to like sort true. Of hear your story and how you came up through the ranks. Yeah. And I learned things about Lorianne at our, that I'd never heard before in our previous episode. You know, we don't <laughs> well, take the time to do this I, enough. I have to say, we've had some good coffee talks, she and I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love our little, uh, we had a little book club a while back that I would love to recreate because it was really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess this is when we're supposed to wrap this up, although we could probably talk for another hour. But I want to thank everyone for joining us and listening in to this episode of The Trolley Stops Here. I want to thank Jerry for joining us and for being vulnerable and making me be more vulnerable than I might have been. <laughs> And I want to thank Ann for just being a wonderful oh. pastor and podcast co-host. Um, well, and I just want to say thank you to everybody. And thanks for the no judgment church I belong to. Here, mm. here. Wow. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. Bye. The Trolley Stops Here is a ministry of First United Methodist Church in Media, Pennsylvania. It's hosted by Laurie Ann Rookard and Taylor Darden. Our technical assistant is Janeth Wirasinghe, and our podcast is edited by Ayanda Sethole.